Sunday night, and we're talking about prophecy and the end of time. I believe it is upon us, and I believe that things are happening today that show that the end has to be not far away. I don't believe children will grow to be old people. I really believe we are we are right on the end of all things. Whenever I think of the end of time, I'm going to put a list of books and chapters on the board that I think of these things all the time whenever I'm when I'm talking about the end of time. I think of the three gospels that have that have synonymous chapters in the synoptic gospels. I think of Matthew 24 and the sister chapter to that in Mark is Mark 13. And then the verse in Luke, the chapter in Luke, is Luke 21. 24th verse is probably, if you picked out one verse in the Bible and said, what is your favorite verse on the end of time? That would be it right there. But you have to know all about the history of Israel, to isolate this verse and know what it means. That verse says, They, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule over the Jews is fulfilled. Now the Gentile rule over the Jews, they started ruling them back here in 586 B.C. When Nebuchadnezzar came in and carried southern Judah away into captivity, northern Israel was carried away in 722 B.C. And the Jews had been ruled by the Gentile world until May 14th, 1948. I was nine years old when Israel became a nation in 1948. I remember in elementary school, second or third grade, fourth grade, I remember when the teacher came in and said, Children, from now on we won't call Israel Palestine. When you looked up in our elementary school book, the word Palestine, that was talking about the land that we call Israel. Well, they changed the name of it, but it didn't come out in the children's history books until 1949 or 50 when they got on the job and started, started, started getting this Palestine out of the history books. And then Israel had all of these wars. They had... These are a sign, these wars are a sign of the end because we know that May 14th, 1948. Now, when you're looking at Luke 21 24, it says Jerusalem will fall by the edge of the sword. But in 1948, Israel didn't have Jerusalem back, they didn't get Jerusalem back until the Six-Day War 
of 1967 from June 5th through June the 10th. That was, it was world famous for being called the Six Day War. So, uh, you had another war in between these. You had the Sinai War of 1960, excuse me, 1957. And Israel was completely outnumbered in all of these wars. I believe there has to be a remnant in Israel that believes God. Because why would God outnumber Israel, just completely outnumbered 40 to 1, and with very few uh, military uh, armament, and why would God cause them to win these wars with an overwhelming minority of people there, and and you have the 1973 war, Yom Kippur. Yom is the word day, and Kippur, K-I-P-P-O-R, it would be our word, Kafar, which means atonement. This was the war of the Day of Atonement because it came at the Day of Atonement in the tenth day of the seventh month and they attacked Israel during their Day of Atonement thinking they would catch him asleep. These are some of the main reasons I believe there has to be a remnant there. Uh, Michael, the uh, retired colonel that was in the United States Marines comes here and he's not very healthy but he comes as much as he can and Michael was a a, a marine pilot jet pilot in Vietnam he ended up over in the Middle East when he was when he retired he went to the Middle East they gave him an honorary position in the Israeli army he's told us all kinds of things about the Middle East over there. He said he was in this 1973 war as a young lieutenant. He said, and we were, the Israelis were attacked from the north. They were attacked from the north and they didn't have any protection. They were. They were attacked from, of course, you got Syria and Lebanon right above them. Then you got Jordan over here, and you've got Egypt down here. During this, during the the uh, war for their independence, that was May fourteenth, nineteen and forty eight. Like I said, when I was nine years old. Well, Michael said. He said he was told and given orders to uh, to call by his commander to call the White House in America that we, they needed aid in this because there was an overwhelming attack from the north by the Jordan by the uh, Syrians by the Lebanese and they were being attacked from the east by Jordan and from the south by 
the Egyptians said there was no way we could come out of that and win. But we did finally. He said he kept calling and the president was drunk and in bed and he couldn't get a hold of him. So he finally got a hold of of one of the military leaders in America and he told him to go to this house and talk to this woman there. And he went to this house and knocked on the door and Golda Meir answered the door. She was Golda Meir. You're familiar with her, aren't you? She was her and David Ben-Gurion were the leaders in all of this. She, in fact, they made a movie about Golda Meir and um, what's her name that played with Humphrey Bogart in the and that famous movie, uh, The Blonde-Headed Woman. I can't think of her name. But uh, she played in that movie. She played Gold on My Ear. And the, huh? Ingrid yeah, Ingrid Bergman played Gold on My Ear. And he met Gold on My Ear. And her word was, to use a play on words, was gold. So she started helping them uh, get some uh, aid. Let me do this and read to you. I'm going to read to you out of a book I've got about these wars and why it was such a miracle for us to have won that, or for the Israel to have won that war. This is, here's the War of Independence, 1948. Just listen to this. The day following this declaration, their declared independence, that Israel was invaded by Egypt, Jordan, Egypt is south of Israel. Jordan is east of Israel. What's west of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. And they were invaded by Syria, which is north of Israel, and Lebanon. This is on May the 15th, 1948. Nearly 45 million Arabs went to war with 64,000 Jews. Forty. Five million Arabs go to war with 64,000 Jews. An unbelievable uh, opponent. Britain's Field Marshal Montgomery predicted that that it would take the Arabs but eight days to drive the Jews into the sea. Nine months and four days later, Israel had not only survived but had come out much strengthened with 23% more territory than they had been allotted in the 1947 petition plan. Totally impossible. This is why I believe, I don't believe that God would allow this kind of a thing to happen. Or I believe he is the one that instigated, instituted it. If there wasn't some Jews there, that are going to believe, but when they believe, they're not going to believe Billy Graham's gospel. They're going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to believe predestination. They already know Christmas is pagan. The Arabs outnumbering the Jews almost 40 to 1 had a very simple battle plan. Egypt was to attack from the south, from the south of Israel. Here's Egypt down here. They're going to attack Israel from the south, right here. They would attack from the south, 
with 10,000 men. Now they've got 10,000 men attacking from the south. Sweep up the Negev toward the Negev is the desert just south of Israel. You've heard me talk about that. Toward Tel Aviv with a half the force and the rest would move toward Jerusalem. Lebanese, Syrian, and Iraqi forces would move down from the north through Galilee. Galilee is in the north. So the Syrian, let me make a little map of this on the board. Let me erase this. I'll get back to this in a minute. So you've got, here's Israel. It kind of slants. Here's Egypt. Egypt. And this is Israel here. And the Palestinians are on the southern, southwest corner of Israel. That's the Palestinians. You got Lebanon up here, which are enemies. Up here, right here. And then you've got Syria here. These are all enemies of Israel. And then you've got Jordan down here. Jordan. These are all Arab people, Muslims, and they hate Israel and they want to destroy them. And Israel will attack this, this way. (coughs) Jordan will attack from the east. Syria will attack from the north. And Lebanon will attack from the north. And they're going to have 10,000 attacking from each direction. 10,000 and 10,000. Now, that's very significant. I'll show you why in a minute. And they had 10,000 men sweep up the Negev toward Tel Aviv with half the force, and the rest would move towards Jerusalem. Lebanon or Lebanese, Syrian, and Iraqi forces, and Iraq is over here. And Iraqi forces will come in and join in with the Lebanese and the Syrians. Through Galilee, Galilee is right up here. See if Galilee's up here, and the Jordan River runs down into the Dead Sea down in southern Israel on the eastern border. See if Galilee. And Haifa on the, toward Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv was the capital city it was over in this area. Now it's in Jerusalem. They've reset it. Where they would join up with Egyptian forces from the east, Jordan would send 10,000 men to occupy the West Bank. The West Bank is the western bank of the Jordan River on the west side. So they're coming in here. They're going to occupy the West Bank. Now, we're talking about 64,000 Jews. And occupy the West Bank, capture the old city of Jerusalem, and lay siege to the new city. The outcome of the war was probably determined more with an attitude of two sides. To the Arab people, to the Lebanese, Syrians, Egypt, and so forth, it was a 
It was a war of expansion and revenge. For the Jew, it was sheer survival. A fact that is known to make people fight harder than for those who are fighting simply to gain more territory. The Israeli battle plan was much more complex. The first goal was to defend the utmost every Jewish settlement in the path of the invading army. A task made difficult by the fact that the Israelis had 10,000 rifles. They had 10,000 attacking them from the south, 10,000 from the east, and 10,000 from the north. And they had 10,000 rifles. And each rifle man had 50 rounds of ammunition. That's all they had. They get 50 shots, each one of them with a rifle. Four, four ancient artillery pieces and 36 machine guns left over from World War I. The second goal was to piece together a navy to lift the blockade and bring in men, munitions, and immigrants by way of the sea. The next goal was to lift the siege of Jerusalem and then turn the tide of battle from defensive to offensive moves. Each one of these goals was accomplished, perhaps the most dramatic being the rescue of Jerusalem. Since all the roads into Jerusalem were Arab-controlled, several thousand Israeli citizens carved out a road over the limestone hills through which food, weapons were brought in to defend the city. Banners displaying the words of Psalms 137.5 were flying from the Jewish vehicles, bringing the supplies and weapons in. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Then the heaviest fighting occurred between May 15th and June 11th, after which time a four-week truce was arranged by the United Nations. They had to step in. During the lull, huge amounts of weapons were purchased from Czechoslovakia. And when fighting began again, Israel inflicted heavy casualties on the Arabs on all fronts. During the next lull, a group of Jewish radicals calling themselves the Stern Gang, and I got some information on the Stern Gang. These were people that believed they, they had to kill Israelis. They were Israeli people, soldiers, believed they had to kill Israelis in order to keep them from forming any kind of peace alliance with these Arab peoples. Count Bernadotte causing a great loss of image for the Israelis. Finally, on October 15th, the war broke out, and Israeli troops, by now well supplied, literally threw the Egyptians out. Not even possible. This is why I really believe that there has to be some elect among the Jewish people there. Now, let me tell you about the Sinai War. They're completely outnumbered every time. Outnumbered. But the Lord said, if you will be obedient to me, and evidently he's got some people there that want to be obedient. And the Sinai War of 57, 
1957. Let me give you the figures on that. 1957, October. It started in 56. Egypt, Syria, and Jordan prepared themselves again to encircle Israel. You know where Egypt is in the south. You know where Jordan is on the east. And so forth. Where Syria is just north of Israel. Jordan and uh, Lebanon north of Israel. At the same time, Egypt had seized control of the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal is one of the most important canals in the world. Because the Suez Canal goes from the Red Sea. They dug a canal that would go up to the Mediterranean Sea. That way, whoever controlled the Suez can control the supplies in and out to the Mediterranean. And it was the only way without going all the way around Africa, around the Cape of Good Hope, that's the bottom of Africa, that Cape, and coming all the way around and coming in here. The Suez Canal was crucial. And the Egyptians got a hold of that. And without the Suez, you're kind of up a creek. And the British and French moving against Egypt in retaliation for closing the Suez made sudden air attacks knocking out Egyptian air power. Israel seized the moment to launch an attack, overrunning and clearing the Sinai Peninsula, destroying or dispersing about a third of the Egyptian army. Let me flip my page here. Capturing huge quantities of Russian-built equipment, Israel took about 5,600 prisoners, killed somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 Egyptians, while suffering 171 killed themselves. That's 171 as opposed to between two and 3,000, and 600 wounded. The situation in the Middle East at that time came so tense. Why am I reading this? That's on the news. That's our news. That's the biggest thing on the news is Israel. Israel is smaller than New Jersey, and all of the world is looking to Israel. We're looking to Israel, hoping for the coming of our Lord. That time came so tense that many feared Armageddon was just around the corner. I believe it is. When Britain and France attacked Egypt, Egypt sank every ship and barge in the Suez Canal in an attempt to close its western shipping. Very, very crucial. Russian threatened to come to Egypt, Egypt's aid, and the United States quickly promised to back Britain if Russia did jump in an Egyptian side. By December, however, the UN troops were able to restore order and to persuade Israel to pull its troops out of the Sinai, a decision it would later regret. Now, let me read to you about the Six-Day War. The Six-Day War of 1967. This is where Jerusalem was where the Jordanians were driven out of Jerusalem. This goes with this verse right here. 
They, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they'll be led away captive into all nations. We know why, because they went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all these sun and tree goddesses, gods and goddesses, suns and tree. Baal was the the sun god. The grove was the tree goddess. It was the Christmas tree. And they were carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. You can read that. You can read about that in Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter. You can read about it in the 25th chapter of Second Kings. You can read about northern Israel being carried away in the 17th chapter of of Second uh, Kings. Those are those are also chapters I think of when I'm thinking of the end of time. I'm thinking of Second Kings seventeen. That's the carrying away of northern Israel or the ten northern tribes. Northern Israel, they were carried away by the Assyrians. I think of all of this when I'm thinking of Syrians. And then I think of Second Chronicles. This was in 722 B.C. And you can see that in Second Kings 17. And I think of Second Chronicles 36. That is where southern Israel, I keep saying Judah. Judah was southern Israel. The nation of Judah was southern Israel. And they were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon in 586 B.C. And this was the Babylonians that carried them away. Babylon overthrew Babylon overthrew the Assyrians around 612 B.C. So they just simply moved from one to the other. And I think of Second Kings, the 25th chapter, that would be a repeat of this chapter in Second Kings 17. Now, excuse me, not of Second Kings 17. That would be a repeat of this chapter right here. This is what Chronicles has to say. And you can go into the book of Jeremiah and look in the middle of the book. You'll read up to about chapter 38, 39, and 40, how that when when Nebuchadnezzar come in, he sends his commanding general, Nebuzaradan, N-E-B, U-Z-A-R-R-A-D-A-N. Just because his name looks kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, he's no kin to Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar sent Nebuchadnezzar in to tell Jeremiah, we heard you're an honorable man. You can come to Babylon. We're going to carry your people off and put them in captivity. But you are welcome to come over. We'll give you land, give you a place to live. And we'll protect you. And Jeremiah said, no, thank you. I will stay here in Israel with the poor. 
so I can help look after them. And that's all we know about Jeremiah. We don't have anything about his end. He did not take some of the daughters to England and establish the throne of God in England. And they say that those British Israelites, which was the Worldwide Church of God and some others, believe that he carried some of Zedekiah's daughters to England and established God's throne on the Queen of England's throne. It's crazy. And they say that the stone that sits on the Queen of England's throne, that was the stone that was in the wilderness where they got water from. That stone could only be something like this. They would need a river of water coming out of the stone to give two million, two to three million people water. They need something like a like our water system here in Nashville. So, I don't know what got me over here, but I think of these chapters also when I'm thinking of the end of time because this is where northern Israel and southern Israel were carried away into captivity, and they were captive until May of 1948 and until the War of 1957, the Sinai War. And I'm on this six-day war. This is the fulfillment that Jerusalem will fall by the sword, that will be led away captive in all nations until the Gentile rule is through ruling Jerusalem, and they were through in 1967. So when people will say, well, yes, but they've been saying the end of time is going to come for all these uh, 50 years or 100 years. There's some things happened in our time that people don't understand. Now, let me read this about the Six-Day War. This is a magnificent war. All during the early 1960s, minor border skirmishes and Arab terrorist attacks followed by the reprisals by Israel in 1966. Nasser made Nasser. I remember Gamal Abdul Nasser. He was the, the king of Egypt. He was their leader. I remember that when I was in high school. Gamil Abdul Nasser was his name. They just got Nasser here. I'm quoting that from memory in the weekly reader or wherever we'd read about him. Nasser made a pact with Syria. That would be Egypt on both sides of Israel, the bottom side of Israel, the top side of Israel. They made a pact uh, made a pact with Syria in the event of Israeli invasion. In 1967, terrorist attacks and Syrian bombardment of Israeli villages in the north in the north continued. In retaliation, Israelis shot down six Syrian MiGs while continuing their warnings to the Arab nations that Israel might have to take further reprisals if the attacks continued. I saw a, I wish I had the special, I saw it years ago on TV. It was a documentary about the Israeli pilots, and they were the most deadly of all the pilots. They were just, just unbelievable. They said that they did not shoot down the Russian MiGs, there's an old saying, until they saw the whites of their eyes. That means you're so close, you can see them. 
and that they wouldn't shoot. And they did this overwhelming devastation of those those MIGs that had been given to these uh, Arab nations. Uh, it's a it's a documentary worth seeing. In fact, I was out. I used to travel in the music business in the military bases. I went about 250 military bases. I was out at Luke Air Force Base in uh, in one of their clubs out there. We were sitting during the day eating some kind of dinner or something. And one of the pilots said, the United States has the best pilots in the world. And one of the pilots spoke up. He said, except for the Israelis. He said, well, you're right. Even even our pilots knew that. They said they were deadly. They were because they were fighting for their life, their existence. Now, let me finish reading this. Nasser began amassing troops in Sinai. At the same time, Nasser is going to be over here in the Sinai Desert. This is the Sinai Peninsula. Nasser's over in Egypt. He's amassing troops to attack Israel from the south. This is Bible, folks. If you watch the evening news, it's like these evening newscasters. Get, if you read your Bible and read these prophecy things, it's like reading the evening news. I don't even know who those guys are now. Who are they? Since Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw left, I don't even keep up with them. <laughs> Y'all don't want me there. They're not popular like they used to be. Nasser closed the Straits of Tehran, threatening to blow up any shipping vessel bound for Elat. When another war with the Arab nations seemed inevitable, Israel decided to seize the advantage with several lightning air raids beginning on June 5th, six-day war. Israeli Mirage and Mystere jets succeeded in destroying most of the air power of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq before the planes even got off the ground. It takes approximately two and a half minutes flying at supersonic speeds to get from Israel over here to Egypt. And I've read and been told, Mike said, that they actually, that Israel attacked them while they were in the hangars drinking their coffee and they destroyed nearly the entire air force of Egypt while they're on the ground in 1967. Is this anything but a miracle? The whole thing is a miracle. Now, by June the 7th, Egyptian resistance in the Sinai had collapsed. In the north, after serious fighting, Nablus and Jericho were captured, and at 8 p.m., Israel and Jordan had accepted a ceasefire called for by the United Nations. With two day, for two days, Syrian artillery had been bombarding Israeli villages in Galilee. The Syrians up here, they were attacking Galilee down here. Galilee is right there, that little blue spot right there. They were attacking Galilee. It's amazing that this is in our Bible. And the Bible will tell you all that's 
going on because Israel went after these gods, which was the same thing as Christmas. If God would kill the Israelis by millions of them because they went after the sun and tree gods, which was Christmas and Easter and Halloween and all the rest of it under other cultures, do you think he wants us to do it? And he scatters them all over the world. And when he brings them back, you're going to have the end of time right upon us. Does he want us to do that? Let me finish reading this. By June the 7th, remember this is the six-day war, 5th through the 10th. didn't last long. Egyptian resistance in the Sinai had collapsed in the north after serious fighting. Nablus and Jericho was captured at 8 p.m. Israel and Jordan had accepted a ceasefire called for by the United Nations. For two days, Syria... Syrian artillery had been bombarding Israeli villages in Galilee. That's in northern Israel. But the Israeli Air Force and infantry units by June 9th had overrun the gun emplacements. And by the next day, Israeli forces were 12 miles into Syria, capturing villages as far as Cunetra, a ceasefire was arranged for 4.30 on the afternoon of June 10th. Egypt, Egyptian losses in both men and equipment were very heavy, although casualty figures were never released by the Egyptian government. Jordanian casualties were listed at 6,094 killed and missing and 762 wounded and 463 taken prisoners. Israel's loss was given at 679 killed and 2,563 wounded. That was 6,000 as opposed to 679, the amount that were killed. Then they had the Yom Kippur War. This is, but that, that six-day war is when they took Jerusalem back for the first time in 2,600 years. This is what the Bible is talking about. And these chapters right here about Israel falling by the sword, about the end of time coming. And the end of time, I believe, is upon us. I don't believe we could last much longer. I'll read to you about the Yom Kippur War. This is the war of 1973, where it looked like Israel was going to lose. Tensions between Israel and surrounding nations have never been completely tranquil. But in the fall of 1973, the situation became worse. Finally, on a day, this is the war that Mike was in, the 73 war. This is the one where he went and met Golda Meir. This is the one where he was calling the president. Mike, being a lieutenant, was told by his superior, call the White House. We need we need." Back up. We need forces behind us. So this is Mike's personal war here. Finally, on a day when they thought Israelis would be least prepared, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. Yom is the word day in the Hebrew. Kippur. Kafar is the way it's spelled in the Hebrew. The Day of Atonement war, they would be least prepared to defend themselves, Egypt 
from the south, Syria from the north, attack. The assault was planned for 6 p.m. on October 6th, which was Yom Kippur, a day when Israelis would have been observing a fast, their most holy day of worship. Russian satellite intelligence warned the Syrians that Israel was beginning to expect something, was making preparations. This is going on every day over there. What is on the news is what is in the Bible. I don't know of anybody that knows anything about this. When I'm thinking of the end of time, I'm thinking of what's happening in Israel. So the attack actually took place four hours earlier than scheduled. The amassing of troops and armor was said to be the largest since the close of World War II. Some 5,000 tanks. This is how big this 73 war was. More than 1 million men, 838,000 Arabs, 275,000 Jews. Egypt alone was said to have thrown 3,000 tanks, 2,000 heavy guns, 600,000 men against the Israelis. At one point, we cut our men down in Vietnam to 50,000. They had 600,000. That's a massive army. Considering just the strength of forces alone, it should have been the annihilation of the state of Israel. That 73 war. That followed in the next 19 days being caught so terribly off guard and outnumbered, that's when Mike was told to go talk to this woman, and it was Golda Meir. I remember Golda Meir when I was a little boy. Her name was in the news all the time. Golda Meir, M-E-I-R is the way it's spelled, later confessed for the first time in our 25-year history, we thought we might have lost. Gosh, you'd think, 45 million against 65,000 or whatever that was. You'd think you would come close to losing then, that war of independence. At one time, only a few dozen tanks stood in the way, both in the north and the south, of oncoming Arab forces. But during an unexplained two-day lull in fighting, Israel was able to regroup, and on October the 19th, a tank battle of unprecedented magnitude took place in the Sinai. That's just south of Israel, the desert. When the dust cleared, Israel had won a tremendous victory and began pressing on into Egypt, conquering territory west of the Suez in the north. Israel began pushing the Syrians back, and by the time a ceasefire was arranged, Israeli troops were within 20 miles of Damascus. During this war, casualties were more than 15,000, and Israeli losses were more than 4,000. That's just the story of these four wars, and Jerusalem no longer falling by the sword as of the Six-Day War. That has to go with Israel has always been ruled. I've given you paper on this. All the places they've been ruled. They've been ruled ever since by the enemies of God. I believe with this 
kind of victory over the Arab forces, there has to be... God wouldn't do this for a bunch of vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, would he? There has to be some of God's people that Israelis, and I don't care if they are Khazars or what they are, if they're, if they're Gentiles believing God, that promise was extended to the Gentiles in the house of Abraham. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. I believe God has liberated them so that he could have a certain number of them be his elect people. I hope Mike was taking, when he was going over there, he's not able to go anymore. He's got some injuries from Vietnam. And he said when he was going over there, he told me one day, he said, Jim, you've got a cult following, not occult, but cult following, a cultivated following in Israel. He was taking our messages over there, He said, they don't know anything about the Old Testament, how it connects with the New Testament. He said, you're telling them how it comes together. And he had this rabbi over there, this Rabbi Eli, Rabbi E-L-I. Rabbi Eli started listening to our messages, and he was teaching the halakha. And he did an about-face, went upside down, and started embracing this teaching. And Mike took him 400 of my messages on a hard drive over there. He was sending them around Israel. And we were getting emails from God, uh, one Israeli woman. Her name was Hadassah. She was sending us regular emails on a regular basis. They even found one of our messages on a... It was a little, what do you call them, the little tape? Well, they found a tape on a Palestinian kid about 14 years old with one of my messages. And the kid wrote to us and said, I cannot tell you who I am. They would kill me if they found out. There was people throughout Israel that were calling us and contacting us. And uh, Mike said, there are people over there searching what all this means. And he said, some of them, you're giving them a reason to knowing how the Old Testament is tied to the New. I've even shown you that in a very skeletal sense up here tonight. Now, whenever I'm teaching on prophecy, I have to teach you why Israel fell through 500 years under kings that's why I'm teaching on the books of the kings on Sunday morning. I'm teaching on First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and how they went after these idol gods and how God scattered them all over the world. And the Bible says in Ezekiel, I have to bring up Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. I have to bring up Ezekiel 37. I have to bring up Isaiah 11 when I'm thinking of this. Isaiah 11 and Ezekiel 37 say basically the same thing. They tell you that at the end of time, Israel will come back into one nation. There'll no longer be a Judah, southern Judah, southern Israel. 
and no longer be a northern Israel. They'll become one, the Lord says, in my hand at the end of time. In the 11th chapter of Isaiah, the Bible says they will fall upon the Philistines to, to bring them subject to, to their laws. Well, that's the Philistines is right here on the south. The Philistines is the same thing as the Gaza Strip. Most people will hear this in the news. They don't have any idea what it's about. Do they? Did you all know what it was about before you came here? It's about, if this is Israel, it's not shaped like that. It's more like, like that. But those boundaries have changed through the years. They've changed. You got Egypt down here, and the Mediterranean here, and Lebanon here, and Syria here, and Jordan here, and Egypt will come in from the south, and Jordan here, and Syria this way, and Iraq will come in from over here, and Iran, Iran from over here. Iran is the same thing as Persia, and Iraq is the same thing as Babylonia or Babylon. Everything that you see in the news, Persia was the Persian bear, the Persian, the Persian goat that had one horn longer than the other because it was Persia made. So if you can get to understanding that Persia was Israel, was Iran, Iraq is Babylon, Syria was always Syria. Lebanon, Lebanon, what we call Lebanon, was the same thing as, uh, I just went blank, same thing as Tyre and Sidon. Sidon. And that's what was brought into Israel when Ahab married Jezebel. He's up there partying one day and saw this good-looking woman, and her father was Ethbaal, means with Baal, and they brought that down into Israel. And because that was brought to Israel, it finally bled into southern Judah through the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Her name was Athaliah. And because of all of this, they were scattered. And then the Arabs come in and occupy the land for 400 years from 1517 to 1917. So the Arabs think the land belongs to their brothers they think it belongs. They, the Arabs don't want Israel destroyed. They want Israel in the Mediterranean Sea with no way to survive. They don't just want to take over. So, let me put this over here. Whenever I think of the end of time, I think of what's going on in the news. Because what's going on over there, you can watch it every day, and there's terrorist actions. They, they'll come in there. Why is it that all these nations, these Arab nations, will not attack Israel? It's very simple. Very simple. Israel is a nuclear power. A world power. Michael says they have about 800 
nuclear warheads. He said they've got them all over Israel. They got them in the ground. They got got them under great big boulders. I said, what will happen if they fire those missiles? What will happen with those boulders? He said, it'll knock them off just like their little grain of sand, like a little pebble. They'll go into the air. And he said they will go up to what he called an apogee. I don't know if that's the way you spell it. An apogee is the height that a missile can go to. And he says they have on each head of those missiles, they can have 15 to 20 warheads. And they can fire them off all separate. That's like Israel is like Mighty Mouse sitting amid all these cats. They don't want to attack Mighty Mouse because if they ever start shooting those missiles... If you remember, during these wars that they had during the Gulf War, the Arabs were firing missiles at Israel, but they weren't nuclear missiles. They were just Scud missiles, Scud. They'd be in the news that they were Scud missiles. They were just missiles that go in and blow up, and they would, they'll go into a marketplace, some Arab, either some Arab... Arab is a Hebrew word. It's that word metal. Metal not with those that are given to change. Arab means a mixed race. So everybody over there is Arabs. It's mixed according to the Jewish language. It's mixed race and they don't have the power nuclear wise that Israel has. Israel has got the power. And if they shot those missiles into the air, each time those they'd start putting those scud missiles in Israel, Israel would start getting ready to fire their power that they had. Well, the United Nations would send somebody in to have a meeting with Israel, say, please don't get involved in this. Let us handle this, because if they didn't handle it, and they started firing those nuclear missiles... This looks like a desert, but it would look like a moonscape time Israel got through with it. They can't afford to. But Mr. Achmedinejad, I can't say his name, Achmedinejad, he was at the time, he was a, he was the head of the Iranian people. He was their, what's that name they call him? I can't remember that. But he was their, more or less their, king and he said if they get nuclear power he said we are going to do a preemptive strike on Israel that's why when uh, the premier of Israel I saw him on Mike Wallace and he told Mike Wallace before Mike died he said if I get into power there we're going to strike Iran Iran says they don't care they are wild people now, most of these others are bad, but Iran says, we don't care. We're going to attack Israel with nuclear power if we get that. That's why Mike was going over with some of his men over across the border at night trying to find these nuclear sites. He said they found some. And he said they killed those people where they had those nuclear sites. Mike doesn't go over there anymore. I couldn't say these things to you. They would, he said they would come after him. 
So when you're talking about prophecy, you have to be talking about Israel being scattered. I've got a paper here that talks about Israel being scattered and how God threatens them. You need to take your you need to take your concordance and take the word scatter. Here's all the times the word scatter is mentioned. Here's all the times the word scattered, scattereth. And this, most of these are talking about God scattering Israel if they go after other gods. The other gods they went after was the sun and tree gods. That was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church. Constantine brought in the what was called the church at Rome, but it was a corrupt church. And Constantine organized the Roman Catholic Church in 325 A.D. And he did that so he could amalgamate the corrupt church at Rome with all the gods of the Goths, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths. They had a special last night on the barbarians. They were telling the same thing I'm saying right here, that the Ostrogoths, and the Visigoths were trying to come over here. Here's the Ostrogoths, Ostrogoth kingdom, Vandals, Bavarians, Burgundians, the Franks, the Gauls, the Celts. There are all these pagans who were not in the Roman Empire. You have to understand, Rome, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, their boundaries were on the boundaries of this Mediterranean Sea. So you have to understand, when they start these Goths and Huns and Vandals, here's Attila the Hun is coming over here and attacking. Here's the Vandals, Huns, uh, all these pagans coming in here. Constantine felt like he was going to lose the empire, so he amalgamated the gods of these people. We know they were sun and tree gods because they all come from the same source. Revelation 17 and 5 says Babylon mothered all idol worship. 17 and 5. Therefore, when Israel became involved in sun and tree worship, it's the same thing that Constantine brought into the church and called the Christ Mass. It is the same thing. Why preachers can't see that, I don't know. You have to, I've spent a lifetime studying the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament and its characters. Y'all know that when I teach on Sunday morning. When you teach about these characters, you've got to teach Israel's apostasy and them being scattered and them coming back. These wars that they have fought are directly associated with what they did while they were kingdom under kings. Gosh, how, how, is that hard to understand? That's not even hard, is it? And the evening news is about what they did back here. Because they gave up the land. God says, I'll take the land away from you. And the Arabs came in and possessed it for 400 years. And they think it belongs to them. I don't even blame the Arabs for what they do. I don't even blame them for crashing planes in the World Trade Center. Why would they do that? They really actually believe what they believe their cause. But does it belong to them? Well, no. Then you have to go back to Genesis, 
Genesis 17, where God says the land, well, he actually says over Numbers 26, uh, not Numbers 26, he says in Leviticus 26, the land is mine. I give it to who I want to. It's mine. You can't buy it or sell it. And I'm going to give it to Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And he's going to have 12 sons. And his name will be changed to Israel. So Israel gets the land. But the Arabs say it belongs to them. Because they possessed it for 400 years, from 1517 to 1917, when it was liberated by the British that came in at the end of the Great War. So whenever I'm talking about the end of time, I'm talking about how that all of the world, while Israel has been scattered and brought back, the preachers don't know anything about this over here. They don't know what's going on in Israel. And they stand up there and give a little sermonette. And they don't even know what this is all about. I started studying the 70 weeks of Daniel in 1964. That was a long time ago. 54 years ago. I started studying prophecy. I found out how Lindsay doesn't know nothing about it. Neither does Jack Van Wimpy. Just, they disgust me. Not to mention that other goofball on there. I can't remember his name. Uh, talk like a sissy. That's what he sounded like. And they call themselves prophecy teachers. They don't know nothing about this or this over here. Now, whenever, whenever we're going to talk about prophecy, the two major points is Israel falling by the sword until there in Revelation 21, 20 through 24. Let's read that. Now, let's read that. Luke 21, 20. It's talking about Israel. It is one of those prophecies about the end of time. And it has to do. It has to do. With Israel at the end of time. Look at Luke 21. I don't know how I end up this way. I didn't intend to go into all this. All right. Luke 21. Now, this is a matching chapter to Matthew 24, except it says some things different. I don't know where I want to start here. 21. Let's still go over here to 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. When would the, when is the first time that Jerusalem was encompassed by armies? Armies was all the way around them, destroying them. The first time was 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and carries Israel away into captivity. And they stay in captivity 
for 2,600 years. They stay in that captivity. So until June 5th through June 10th, that's when Israel is liberated for the first time in all those years. So that's what this is talking about. Were they ever outside of captivity? Never. Not till the Six-Day War of 67. I've given you papers on that. I don't have one up here with me. I'll be glad to give you one. It shows you all of the empires that ruled them, the bloody, uh, the blood that ran through the streets of Jerusalem by all these empires. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, which has been a 2,600-year period, then know that the desolation of Jerusalem is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea, which is the mountains around Jerusalem, Flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the middle of Jerusalem depart out, and let not them that are in the countries around Jerusalem enter in Jerusalem. This is going to be a bloody time for 2,600 years. For these are the days of God's vengeance upon Israel because they went after all of these sun and tree goddesses. They would not listen. God said, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, I'll send your enemies against you. They'll whip you. I'll send famine where you won't, the covenant won't be fulfilled with you. You won't have plenty of food. Your babies will be stillborn. And I'll send all kinds of disease on you. And if you don't behave, I'll send the beasts, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. And they will carry you off into captivity. And these are things that will happen at the end of time. That's what we're looking for. I'm looking forward to the end. I have never been so tired of a world that don't believe God. Then he goes on to say, These are the days of God's revenge, that all things which are written in the Old Testament will be fulfilled. And I have gone through hundreds of those verses in the Old Testament. Warn to them in Israel that are with child. If you're pregnant in Israel with child, and to them that give suck, you got a baby at your breast. In those days, warn to them that it shall them that get suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land of Israel, and wrath upon this people Israel for what they did, and they ignored me. I took them out of Egypt. I gave them the land. I gave them the laws to live by. They ignored me, and so I sent all these judgments on them, all through. All through the Old Testament. And every one of the prophets was sent to Israel to preach to them because of their apostasy. God says, I'm not going to put up with this. You can't get by with this with me. And they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Jerusalem was trodden down all the way to the Six-Day War. And that's the first time they were free since Nebuchadnezzar came in and slaughtered them and just razed Jerusalem to the ground. R-A-Z-E-D. That kind of raise means to level it. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and leveled Jerusalem. 
and they'll fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And they were in those verses I gave you in Second Chronicles 36, Second Kings 25, Second Kings 17. They were carried away. And they never came back until 1948 decree. They signed that decree in, in Tel Aviv. The United Nations come in. They declared Israel a nation. And the next day, 45 million Arabs declared war against 60,000 Jews. The next day. It's a wonder anybody was alive. Without the miracle of God. People say, well, those aren't Jews. It don't matter what they are, whoever they are. God was saving them for his cause, for his purpose. They shall fall by the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule over them is fulfilled. Because that's the context of this. The Gentiles ruling the Jews. And then there'll be some other signs. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Aporia. A-P-O-R-I-A. No way out. You look it up, it'll say in a quandary. That means no way out. There is no way out to everything that's happened upon the earth right now. We do not have a government can straighten it out. I don't put any more trust in these politicians than I put in some wild dog. They sure are convincing. They sure sound smart. Donald Trump certainly has run big corporations, but he didn't build that. I read all kinds of things. I go on the Internet and look up Donald Trump's family. Donald Trump's grandfather owned a corporation. It's real easy to inherit a hundred million dollars or half a billion dollars and multiply it up to two or three billion if you start with a fortune. And he started with a fortune. There's a there's a uh, documentary. It's called Born Rich. If you've never seen that documentary, you need to get it and watch it. It's about the children of billionaires. How they raised across America. Not multimillionaires, the children of billionaires. And they had Donald Trump's daughter, that girl when she was young. What's her name? The one, his daughter? Uh, Ivanka, yeah. They had her. She's about 16. She's looking out over New York from the top of a high rise. And she said, I'm going to build me a building like my grandfather built these. She didn't say my daddy, my father. She said my grandfather. So he started with a lot. He didn't start broke. It's easy to make a lot of money if you got a lot of money to start with. I'm not saying he's ignorant. He's a good businessman. He's not a great politician. You have to do a lot of compromising to be a good politician. Let's read on here. There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. I could go into 
the the Bible speaks of the moon turning to blood. Something that turns to blood means something that dies. That's an old ancient saying. It meant the moon will die. If the the whole purpose of the moon it shines at night, doesn't it? If it died it would quit shining, wouldn't it? It doesn't mean it's gonna turn red, like John Hagee says. That's not what it means. It means if the moon dies, everything will be pitch dark. And anything that's pitch dark is equated with no light, no truth. That's what it, and we don't have hardly any truth going on in the world today. The preachers are ignorant, and they like it. My people love to have it so, the Bible says. The moon turning to blood... I always think of this verse over in Micah, the third chapter. This is also a prophecy. Micah, the third chapter. And this is what the Bible says concerning the moon dying. Or the sun being dark. If the sun is darkened on nights where you can't see a moon, it's pitch dark outside. God is talking about the moon turning to blood will be the moon dying because the sun is not shining and this has a a figurative uh, picture to it. It's talking about the truth not being there because he compares it with the prophets not having any light. And look here in Micah 3. I don't know why men don't see this. If you studied enough of the Old Testament with their idioms and their metaphors, you could see it. You know, Micah. Micah 3. Micah is talking about the evil of Israel going after all these gods. All these prophets are talking about the same thing. And he says here in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people to err, going after the sun and the tree gods, that bite with their teeth. The word bite means to stagger, be out of the way. Peace and their teeth, and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. God won't put any truth in the mouths of the prophets, and they're going to make war with God. That's what he's saying. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, you prophets of Israel. You've gone after Baal in the grove. And it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine. You'll not be able to say the good words of God anymore. And the sun shall go down over the prophets. That means it'll be dark. And the day shall be dark over the prophets. He's equating literal darkness with spiritual darkness over the prophets of Israel, that will be the moon turning to blood. Now let's go back over here to Luke 21. There'll be distress of nations with no answer, and the seas and the waves will be roaring. I believe we're seeing things in nature that we've never seen. We've had the strongest hurricanes that's ever been in the last 
50 years. They're devastating. It wasn't just Katrina. Some of these other hurricanes were more devastating than Katrina. They just didn't build it up because it wasn't one city being being destroyed. It's entire areas of the country being destroyed. I read in Reader's Digest, they said, Katy, Texas is right outside Houston. And they said, Katy, Texas has 18,000 people in it. And they have over 100 churches for 18,000 people. Over 100 churches for 18,000. Just insane because the preachers are not saying anything. Let's read on here. Men's hearts will be failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. The way Matthew 24 puts it, there's going to be great tribulation such as is not from the beginning, no, nor ever shall be. If you think this is going to get better, it's not. It's going to be worse. Even men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. My concern will be for these kids. How in the world are they going to grow up in a world this evil? For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And look at verse 28. When these things begin to come to pass, what things begin? Everything in this chapter, when it's talking about the Jews falling by the edge of the sword till the rule of the Gentiles over them is finished. When these things begin to happen, when you begin to see sign the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth the distress of nation with perplexity, there's no way out of what we're into. I don't care who the authority is. There's no way out of this. God said there wasn't. I'm going to believe him over the scientists. I believe that we have a global warming not because Al Gore said so, or the Democrats say so, because the Bible says the earth's going to heat up. Over here in Revelation, here's a sign of the end, Revelation, the 16th chapter. And these angels that have these seven trumpets, they also have seven vials, and the vials are the judgments of God that he's going to pour out upon the earth. Look over here in Revelation. I'll get over in a minute. Revelation 16. These vials are judgments. They're called bowls, B-O-W-L-S. They would pour out bowls of judgment on their enemies that were attacking their walls of their cities. And in these bowls would be uh, molten lead, fire, and and... Uh, all kinds of coals on fire and they'd pour them down on their enemies and they use this as an illustration look at verse 4 uh, verse 8 the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and power was given in him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God they're not going to repent when the earth gets hotter and hotter, you can go check online and ask for the hottest years 
since they've been keeping records, and they'll tell you the hottest years have been since the year 2000. And even before 2000, I've got some articles that said the hottest year was 1993. And then before that, after that, the hottest year was 1994, 1996. And then the, I read an article here recently. The hottest years have been 17 of the hottest years that are recorded have been since the year 2000. How can it be the hottest years? They take they take the temperature every day of the year and they average it out divided by 365 and the average is higher every year I've got an old it's a a discovery uh, documentary it's called Alaska's Melting And they show the tundra. The tundra is the frozen ground. They show the tundra melting. And they got a picture of this one forest where the trees are all leaning about 45 degrees because the ground is melting. They've got some houses they show that they have sunk all the way down to the, from the second story down where the second story window is level with the ground. They've got the ice, the ice is melting. The polar bears don't have food. There's a, polar bears are going on the endangered list because they can't get to food. They've got to have the ice to hunt for the seals and the walruses, but they don't have it to go to. So they're having to break into, they're going into the towns up in Alaska and breaking into their refuse and digging through the, the trash trying to find food you say what's that got to do with me it has everything to do with the end of time when the bible says that the seas will be poisoned i get articles i look for everything i can find i got an article one magazine said there's so many millions of gallons or maybe up in the billions of trash that's in the sea and it's killing the fish. And that's killing the other fish that depend on them. This is what the Bible says is going to happen. We're at the end. I believe we're close to the end. I'll be glad when Jesus comes back. I've never been so sick of a world. They live in unreality. They can't think straight. They sit around convincing each other, listening to some senator or to listen to some governor or some mayor double-talk them and make them think these things are not really happening. Yes, they are. How can there be no answer, distress of nation with perplexity, if they have an answer? They don't. Let's read this next thing. When these things begin to come to pass... When they begin, it doesn't say when they're happening a long time. When they begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And then he says, you're not the children of the darkness that Second Thessalonians, the fifth chapter says. You're the children of the light. You can tell this by discerning the signs of the times. You can read your Bible and see what the Bible says about the end of time. But we can read it and we go, well, I don't think that means us. Yes, it does. 
people are willingly ignorant, aren't they? They like being stupid. And he spake unto them a parable. He said, let me give you a parable. It's real simple. You can tell when summer's nigh. Behold the fig tree and the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer's here. I've got some fig trees in my backyard over there on Irving, where I used to live. And when you see the figs coming out, we cut the fig trees to the ground. And then by the time of June, at the end of July, fig trees that we cut to the ground are this high. And when you see the figs coming on the trees, you know that summer is here. And they come out and they start getting in full bloom in September, October. And they've been ripe over there. And, and unless you have some cold weather like we've had recently. But he's talking about over here in the hot, the heat of Israel. He says, so likewise, ye, when ye see these things come to pass, ye, ye that the kingdom of God, he said, you can know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now there's been an argument about the word this with the preterist. They say, that's not talking about this generation. It's talking about that generation. I'm sorry, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say this. It says, her generation, the church's generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Her generation shall not pass. Shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Take heed, believers, to yourselves, and lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, baruno, heavy, with Surfeiting, cripale, C-R-A-I-P-A-L-E, cripale, headache, or pain, or debauch, because you've gluttoned too much, you've eaten too much in this time, at the end of time, this time of wealth, and that you can stuff yourself with. That you be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, that spiritual drunkenness, and the cares of this life, so that day shall come upon you unaware. It's not supposed to hit us unaware. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And at the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple 
for to hear him. We have to be headed toward the end of all things, mainly because of what's happening in Israel and because of the apostasy. The apostasy is, the church is completely apostate. That's the word falling away. That's another chapter I think of when I think of this. I think of Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. In verse 3, 2 and 3, Second Thessalonians says, the day of the Lord, when he comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God, that obey not the gospel, this day will not come except there come a falling away first. Falling away is the word apostasis. Apostasis. It is a construction of apo, meaning a removal of stasis. Stasis means to stand upright. From stasis, we get the word staros. That is the word cross. When you bore your cross, where you were said to be standing upright, and the church in the world has had a removal, not only of the cross of Christ. When they talk about the cross of Christ, these Baptists, they're not talking about the cross of Christ. They're talking about the wooden cross. The cross of Christ was Jesus died for his wife, no one else, unless they preach that God died for his family. They're apostate. The cross of Christ would be our daily cross. That has been removed from the church. I don't hear any preacher saying you have to take your cross and die daily. I hear nobody. Does anybody hear somebody say that? If you do, tell me. I don't ever hear any preachers on radio, on TV, talking about a daily cross, death to self, self-denial. I don't hear it. Do you? And that you have to suffer for righteousness' sake, and only a few are going to find the narrow way. Only a few. What I'm teaching, most people don't want. It's too scary. When you tell people, that God doesn't love everybody. He only loves a few of all humanity and mankind. Only a few. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few will find it. Because few don't want this message. It's too hard. They don't want to know that what's going on in Israel is connected to what they did in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. They don't want to know that, do they? They don't want to face Christmas because they don't want to face the fact that it was what Israel was going after. It was what Constantine brought in the Catholic Church and called Roman Catholicism. It's the Christ Mass. They don't want to hear that. You're going to, st- you're going to make them uncomfortable. I was in a doctor's office the other day. I told a woman about Jefferson and I told one of the nurses about Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and George Washington being deist and that they weren't Christians. She said, you're going to ruin my life telling me this stuff. I didn't even get into God doesn't love everybody. I got that on a shirt I wear in there all the time. But they never comment on it. They go, I know they're watching my T-shirts because I wear one shirt in there 
that has a wonderful truth on it and nobody resents it and they comment on it. It says, a Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone who isn't. And every one of them said, boy, that's really true, isn't it? But they never comment on the shirt, God does not love everybody, or Christmas is Roman Catholicism. I got one that says Christmas is Roman Catholicism. I'm not a Roman Catholic. They don't talk about that. Shh. Don't say nothing to Jim about that. He'll talk. We can't stand there and talk. I've talked to him till I'm blue in the face. Did y'all notice how my face is turning blue? I quit talking to them. They, get, they won't get so smart. They'll say, what, are you trying to teach us something? No, I just thought you might want to know. They think they know everything they need to know when you go into some public place. Am I out of time, Mike? One minute. One minute. I talk to everybody I can out in public. They don't want to hear it. And they know me. And I go into the store and they say, hi, Mr. Brown. Hi, Pastor Brown. How you doing? It's like, are you going to get us? I'm not going to get you. If they see me on TV, they think I'm going to get them. I'm not going to get you. I'm not even going to force anything on you. If I get a chance, I'm going to tell you it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. So if I ain't going to say it that hard. Just say that to them and watch them turn blue. Watch them just get... I started strangling. All you got to do is say, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. What do you think of that? Every time I ask a doctor, did you know that? Every one of them says, I didn't know that. I wasn't familiar with that. I know that. You know medicine. That's all you know. I'm out of time. I didn't get to everything. I'm going to come back and go to some of these verses. I think of all these verses I got on this paper. Whenever I'm thinking of the end of time, I think of Israel. I think of the apostasy. I think of all the preachers being crazy, not wanting to know the truth. I can't watch any preacher that I have any confidence in. They'll, have, they'll take some guy like David Jeremiah and build him up to this big idol in America. He's a Baptist. David Jeremiah was one of the most boring people I've ever listened to. Just bores me out of my mind. He doesn't know much of anything. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. What a big deal. They're one of the most profound graduate seminaries in America as far as their professors were concerned. They've had some great teachers. But evidently some of those guys hadn't learned anything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us be aware these things are happening. Cause us to bow to your will. Lord, I'm I'm really frustrated. I'm tired. I'm wore out. Help us to continue to be strong in the faith. I've got so many battles, I don't need to fight any of them. You fight them for me. I'm going to trust you. Lord, when people want to argue or fight me, just give me strength to just back away from them. I didn't know it was going to be this hard, Lord. Give me strength. Give the church strength. 
We'll praise you for everything that you do in Christ's name. Amen. Well, that's the truth. And that's not even to mention the 70 weeks of Daniel. <laughs>